Well, uh, happy Easter, everyone. It's good to be here. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at St. George North. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll get stuck into this great passage from John chapter 11. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you alone have the words of eternal life, and that in your Son, Jesus, we find life. And we pray this evening, as we think on the resurrection of your Son uh, and who he is, that you would strike us anew with how extraordinary Jesus is and the life that we can have in him. And we ask that you convict us of those things by your Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, you might have heard the old saying, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Uh, It's all good and well to make grand claims about all sorts of things, but the proof is in the eating of the thing when you're talking about food, or the proof is in the reality. Is it actually as good as it claims to be? And uh, to give you a bit of a food example, because we love food, uh, a few weeks ago, a few of us went out for lunch, and on the menu was fried chicken on a waffle with maple syrup. And the claim from this place that had this thing on the menu was that the dish was superb. Uh, To me, it sounded like a heart attack on a plate. Uh, But one of the brave souls who was there for lunch, who I won't name by name, ordered the dish to see if it was indeed as good as they claimed. Uh, Here's a photo of it up on the screen. That is the said dish. There's a big bit of fried chicken, the waffle, and some green stuff. I don't know why they put green stuff on it. I think it's just to make the person who's about to have a heart attack feel better about themselves. But the senior minister of a church in Carlton who ate this dish, (laughs) I didn't name him, he was very happy with his dish. His only complaint was that there wasn't enough maple syrup. He wanted it drenched in maple syrup. But you see, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And on a more serious note, this year is an election year. We've had the state election, there's a federal election coming. And every time there's an election, it's all good and well for politicians to make all sorts of claims and promises, but can they deliver on their claims? And on a more important note than that, more important than the claims of politicians or the thousandth pie shop that claims to have the world's best pies, is actually the claim that Jesus has just made in John chapter 11, in the passage we just read. You see, look again at what Jesus says there in verse 25. Make sure you've got your reading in front of you. Have a look at verse 25. Jesus says there, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. In verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Now, that's an extraordinary claim. It's extraordinary. But the question is, is that all it is? Is this just a claim from a deranged man who lived 2,000 years ago? Or are these the words of God himself? And if they are the words of God himself, then only a fool would choose to ignore what Jesus is saying here. And John chapter 11, the passage that was read out, it's all about the proof of the pudding, the proof being in the eating of the pudding. Uh, The whole event is there to help us see that actually Jesus can do the things he claims to be able to do. Uh, But here's what I want us to do tonight as we begin to look at John chapter 11. Uh, I want us to forget everything we know about that chapter. Uh, For the moment, forget what happens at the end, Uh, forget that we've just had the reading, pretend that you have no idea what's just about to happen, because if we want to truly understand what Jesus is saying and doing in this chapter, then we need to follow along carefully, and we actually need to listen in suspense, asking the kinds of questions we would ask if we were reading this 
for the first time without knowing what happens at the end. And if we do that, we'll find quite a few surprises along the way and we'll see how extraordinary this event actually is. So make sure you've got your Bible passage there in front of you. Verse 1, this is what we read. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. And verse 3, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And uh, this makes sense, right? Uh, In John's gospel so far, if we'd been reading from the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the account, we would have seen Jesus do some pretty spectacular things. He's he's been healing people. He, He caused a blind man, a man born blind, to see. And the people who've seen Jesus do these things, they were utterly amazed. It was not the norm. It was out of this world. They were beside themselves from what they saw. And so it makes sense for these friends of Jesus to send for Jesus. You see, Lazarus is sick, and he's sick enough that he might die, and they know Jesus can heal. They know he would be able to make him better. And in verse 4, all seems well. So have a look at verse 4. Jesus says, he says, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And at this point, we think, that's great, right? This is, this is good news. Lazarus will be fine. Lazarus will not die from this sickness. That is great news. But then we get verses 5 and 6. So you have a look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, well, he jumped on his donkey and raced over to meet them. No, what did he do? He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, why would Jesus do that? Uh, This wasn't the 21st century. There weren't hospital beds. Uh, There weren't drugs to keep Lazarus stable until Jesus could finally get there. And what makes it worse is that John, as he records this event, he tells us, have a look, he tells us, it was because Jesus loved them, that he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, that's, that's strange. See, I could tell my wife, look, because I love you, Emily, and you're my gorgeous, lovely wife, uh, I'm going to let you take the bins out tonight. Now, if I did that, she'd think me strange. She'd probably get the bins and put them on my lap. But, but that, that's odd. Why does Jesus do this? He loves them. Why does Jesus delay? Why doesn't Jesus go and heal Lazarus? And it gets worse because when we get to verse 14, have a look at verse 14. Jesus tells his disciples, the 12 that served alongside him, he tells them plainly that Lazarus is dead, that he's died. And that's, what's, that's what Jesus' delay has actually cost. It's, it's cost Lazarus his life. He's dead. And at this stage, as we read it, we, like the 12 disciples, well, we're a bit confused. Because didn't Jesus just say in verse 4 that the sickness will not end in death? And didn't Jesus just say that this would be for the glory of God and for the glory of His Son, of Jesus Himself? You see, what we're expecting was a miraculous healing that would cause all those who saw Jesus perform this deed to praise Him, to think Him worthy and deserving of our glorying of Him because He just healed this man. But what we have instead is a dead man and a dead promise. You see, if the proof of the pudding is in the eating, then, well, Jesus has failed. You see, what, what he's just served us up is a dish that has, that's really worthy of the scrap heap, isn't it? 
And look at what Jesus says in the next verse, in verse 15. Jesus says to his disciples, verse 15, he says, I'm glad. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. And again, how could he be glad? Lazarus is dead. That, that's almost a little bit perverted. But notice who Jesus is glad for. He's glad for the disciples. He's glad for them because somehow what has happened in Lazarus dying will help them believe, will help them believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And this is what we need to realize when we come to the things of God. You see, we, we are impatient by nature. We're born that way. I've got four little kids, and I can tell you for a fact we are born impatient, especially when it comes to food, at least in my household. Uh, usually at, at our home, while we're sitting at the table, ready for dinner, uh, there's one child who's giving thanks for the food, and another child who's basically inhaled half their dinner already because they couldn't wait, uh, especially when we have spag bowl. But that's, that's what we're like. We're, we're impatient. We want things fixed now. The disciples, they wanted Lazarus healed now. We want things in our timing, not in God's timing. And for some people, perhaps for you, if you're sitting here tonight, for some people, they refuse to trust in God because they can't fathom why a God would delay. They can't fathom if God is all-powerful, why he does not fix all things now. But learn from Jesus here. See, Jesus could have healed Lazarus. He, he could have fixed things already, but Jesus chose to delay. He even chose to let Lazarus, who is his friend whom he loved, die. Why? Because he had a greater plan in mind. Because he had a greater purpose he was about to reveal. So Jesus, he's glad for the disciples because his delay and the death of Lazarus would somehow lead to their believing. And it's a bit of a side note. We must understand why God allows the suffering in our world. You see, God, he's not ignorant of our suffering. We'll see that in a moment with Jesus. He, he understands human suffering and he empathizes with it. But what the Bible says is that the reason why God is delaying his fixing of all things and why God is delaying the end of suffering and the end of death and the end of sin, which he promises to bring, the reason he's delaying is because he's wanting more people to be saved. Because now is the time for people to turn to Jesus and believe. That's why God delays. But to get back to our story, Jesus then says to his disciples at the end of verse 15, he says, let's go to Lazarus. Which again, for the disciples, must have been confusing, must have been odd. You see, why are we going to go to Lazarus? Uh, remember, we don't know the end. We don't know what's going to happen. Why would they go? It's too late to save him. He's already dead. Why would they go to him? But off they go. And as they go, the first person they meet as they travel to Bethany was Martha who's the sister of the deceased. And when Jesus speaks with her, you can hear the emotion in Martha's voice. It's, look what she says. Look at what she says in verse 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And you can, you can tell she's hurting because her brother, whom she loved, is dead. And she knew that, that Jesus could have prevented that death. She knew that Jesus could have done something about it. And yet she still has some hope. So verse 22, Martha says, Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
And Jesus, at this point, he, he comforts Martha. And he also begins to reveal what is really going on with this whole event. So Jesus says, verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha, because she's a good Jew and because she understands her Old Testament well, she says to Jesus, well, I know, of course, he, he, he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Uh, that's what will happen to everyone. Everyone who has ever lived will be raised again, will be resurrected again on the last day. Uh, Jesus, if you've been reading along in John's Gospel in chapter 5, he'd already said that everyone will be raised rather to the resurrection of life or to the resurrection of judgment. That is what will happen. But here, Jesus says, no, no, Martha, you, you don't understand. Verse, 20, verse 25, he says, no, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, what he means is that in him, the resurrection has already come. The, the end times, so to speak, have come in him. You see, if you want to be sure about what happens to you, the other side of the grave, then you need to deal with Jesus this side of the grave. If you want resurrection life after the grave, then you need to know resurrection in Jesus before the grave. And Jesus, he, what he does is he spells out both the spiritual reality and the, spiritual, and the physical reality of resurrection. So have a look again at verse 25. So Jesus says, verse 25, The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And what he means by that is, sure, physical death will come. Everyone here in this room will die unless Jesus comes back first. But Jesus says, for the one who believes in him, even if they die physically, they will be raised physically. And verse 26, then speaking of the spiritual reality, Jesus says, verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever and what Jesus is saying there is that for those who believe in him, well, they already have that new resurrection life in him. And that can never be taken away because the resurrection in Jesus has already come. And this is what is so sad as we, as we look around at the world around us and look at the people in our world. Because our world is obsessed with living longer and living wealthier and being healthier. They want life. That's what they want. We want to beat that, that aging process. And I'm uh, relatively young, but uh, every Monday morning, I feel like a 70-year-old. Uh, I play soccer on a Saturday, and if you play sports, you know it's usually two days after where you really start to feel the pain and the soreness. And on Monday mornings, I just struggle to get out of bed. Uh, I groan the whole time, and then when I stand up, my knees give me a sharp pain, so I wince. And all the while, you know, Emily, my wife, they're going, be quiet in case you wake up the kids and then there'll be more pain. Uh, but, but that's the aging process, right? That's the reality of our lives. You see, our world is obsessed with living. And there are more and more foods to eat and more and more exercise classes to join and more and more aging creams to buy to help us live longer. And at one level, that is so natural because we are created to live. It's actually a right desire to want to live. And into that, Jesus says to us, whoever believes in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection that leads to life. Do you believe this? 
You see, forget the aging creams that claim to keep you from the grave. Whenever I see those commercials on TV, I feel like putting myself in a grave. They're, they're torture. You see, true life, eternal life, is found in Jesus. And so do you believe in him? And at this point, this, this kind of brings us back to the beginning of the talk, right? Is Jesus' claim here the claim of a deranged man or of God himself? And so we need to read on to see what happens. And as we do, we see Lazarus's other sister, Mary, come to Jesus. And she, she says the exact same thing that Martha had said earlier. So verse 32, have a look. Verse 32, she too says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus, he's not immune from the emotion. So verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry. He was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. And verse 35, famously, Jesus wept. And that is the right reaction from Jesus. Because death is repulsive. Death is horrible. Death is unnatural. God did not create us to die. And Jesus here, he's rightly angry because Lazarus was not made to die. He was made to live as God's. And it is right for us to feel angry and repulsed by death. Uh, there's a, a street that I used to live on when I was uh, 14 or so, and it's a street, as I've moved back into this area, for the last couple of months, I have driven up and down about four times a day. And uh, about 20 years ago, when I lived in this street, uh, I heard a loud crash uh, from my bedroom, and it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, so as a curious 14-year-old, I went outside to have a look and see what had happened. And it was the 10-year-old boy who lived in the unit above me who was hit by a van. And uh, sadly, he, he died. He, he died on the spot. And I remember that the man who was driving the van, he was on the ground just, just crying. It was horrific. And people had come out from their homes and they said to this man, you know, you were speeding in the street. Everyone always speeds in the street. And he was crying, no, I didn't, I didn't. He just came out. I don't know what happened. And every time I drive past that spot now, I think of this 10-year-old boy. And I even, I slow down that, that extra bit more and I, and I just drive cautiously past it. You see, death is horrible. At whatever age, it's never easy. For the one-year-old or for the hundred-year-old, death is horrible. But here's the thing with Jesus. With Jesus, his right anger at death and his weeping for the death of his friend Lazarus, it's not just mere sentiment. They're not just mere tears. No, death is not beyond Jesus' control. And unlike every other person who's ever lived, Jesus can actually do something about death. And this is where we see the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So verse 38, have a look. Verse 38, then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. And verse 39, remove the stone, Jesus said. And Martha, at this point, she thinks that Jesus is crazy. You know, Lazarus has been in a tomb for four days already. Uh, the old King James Version, if, uh, if you remember that one, uh, it said at this point that he stinketh. That's, that's the language it used, trying to kind of give this idea that he's been in the tomb four days, he's decaying, it smells, he's dead, you're crazy. But Jesus says to Martha, verse 40, he said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so verse 41, make sure you read along, verse 41, so they removed the stone. 
Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Now that is extraordinary. That's extraordinary. That is out of this world. And just, just give yourself a moment to think this through. Just pause and think just how utterly otherworldly this is. This dead man coming back from the grave. I mean, go try it for yourselves, right? Go to a cemetery and find a random tombstone and pick a name and call out the name. Beatrice, come out. William, come out. And just see what happens. Now, if anyone else sees you, that, they'll put you in a special home. You see, Jesus can do what he claims to be able to do. And Jesus, he had no doubt that he could do what he claimed. Why do you think Jesus let Lazarus die? Because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. And this event, it's not really about Lazarus. It's about Jesus. Don't get distracted by Lazarus. Just flip your bits of paper back to verse 4. Go back to verse 4. See, what does Jesus say? He says, verse 4, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And his whole event has been about the disciples and Mary and Martha and even Lazarus and the crowds seeing the glory of God. And it wasn't just so they would see the glory, it was so that they would believe. So flip back and look at verse 42. This is why Jesus says, verse 42, I know that you, Father, always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so they may believe you sent me. And given today is Easter Sunday, the day we remember Jesus himself rising from the dead, it's not only in Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead that we see the glory of God. It's actually in Jesus' own resurrection. And this is, this is where Lazarus and Jesus are different because Lazarus would die again. And Lazarus, he would need to himself believe in Jesus to have that eternal resurrection life. But Jesus in his resurrection shows once for all, that he isn't some deranged man making radical claims. He's God himself. And so what will you do with these claims? You see, we're, we're like the crowd in verse 42. We are a crowd here tonight listening to those same words of Jesus from 2,000 years ago. And Jesus says to them, and he says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And that's not some rhetorical question. That is a question we all must answer one way or another. And God tells us that one day we will stand before him and God himself will ask us, did you believe in my son? Did you trust and follow Jesus as your Lord and King? He came to die for your sins and to rise again for your new life. Is he your King and your Lord? That is what God will ask us. You see, how we respond to Jesus this side of the grave will determine what happens to us the other side of the grave. And resurrection life begins the moment we put our trust in Jesus. And how amazing. You see, no more fear of death. No more fear of 
missing out. You know, who cares what this life we miss out on? We have eternity. No more fear of a wasted, futile life in the here and now that ultimately ends in the grave, no matter how successful your earthly life might be. Knowing Jesus, we have eternal life. In Jesus, we have a King who is worthy of all our praise and glory. So friends, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Jesus is the resurrection. And Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we celebrate Easter, we remember that you sent Jesus, your son, to die for us and to raise to new life for our new life. And we pray, Father, that we would live that resurrection life, that we would believe, that we would know that Jesus not only has the power over death, but that he himself has overcome death. And Father, we pray for anyone here tonight who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they too would see that eternal life is found in him. And we ask you to do that work in them by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.